Did I get this right? We lost the race because of a dodgy spark plug? Welcome to the Ferrari Hub Podcast, where we will be talking Ferraris. And now your host, Andy Rasul. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode seven of the Ferrari Hub Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Russell. On today's show, we have a special guest. His name is Craig Scarborough. Craig is a journalist, uh, a F1 technical expert, and he appears in a number of publications and on various TV shows as well. So we're going to be discussing the 2017 F1 car, Ferrari's F1 car, and talking about some of the technical aspects behind the vehicle itself. We're also going to be looking at what it means for Ferrari's 2018 season and also the impact of the recent statement by Ferrari and by Liberty who have recently announced that Ferrari might be leaving Formula One in 2021. So we're going to be discussing that as well. Before diving into that, just want to talk a little bit about the articles that we've had go live over this past week. On Friday, we had a great article go live uh, which is part of our Friday Drool articles, uh, which comes out every Friday. And this week we featured a 288 GTO, which is an absolutely beautiful car. If you're not familiar with the 288 GTO, you need to be very familiar with it. Um, it's uh, one of only 272 cars ever made by Ferrari. And it really is, it's a very, very special car. It's the car that, from that vehicle, um, they derived the F40, which everybody knows about. So be sure to check out that article. We had another Drool article go out on Monday. So the Friday articles, they look at the classic cars, whereas the Monday articles look at more the current range of vehicles. And Monday's car was looking at a California T. Now, I know you're thinking... The T is old, the Portofino is the new one, but the Portofino has not been released yet. And that's the reason why we're still featuring the California T as one of our existing range of vehicles. Now, this particular California T was in a really great spec. Uh, it's in a color that I was not really familiar with um, before. I had not seen one and I haven't, still haven't seen one in the flesh. Um, it's in a, The color is uh, Rosso California. And it's a really lovely deep shade of red, but it wasn't just the exterior, it was the interior specification as well. So be sure to check that out. You can check out our Drool articles by going to ferrarihub.com forward slash Drool, D-R-O-O-L. We've also had other articles go live. So today's article, uh, we have articles going live every day, uh, but today's article was about the Ferrari F50. So be sure to check that one out as well. And again, you can check out all our articles by going to ferrarihub.com forward slash articles. In addition to that, if you want to be kept up to date automatically, I mean, we realize that some of you are busy and cannot sort of come back to the site on a daily basis. We will actually send you the articles um, we're actually posting them up into our Facebook group, which you can join simply by going to ferrarihub.com forward slash Facebook. And that will take you automatically to our Facebook group and you can join us over there and we'll, you'll automatically get them um, as a result. Before we get into this week's episode, I just want to thank our sponsor for today. They are Supercar Italia. They're based in Biggin Hill in Kent, right by Biggin Hill Airports. They specialize in servicing, repairs, and bodywork for Ferraris, Lamborghini, and Maserati, as well as all types of supercars. 
They combine over 60 years technical know-how. They don't just work on the new cars, but they're also very familiar with the old cars as well. Having been around their workshop, I've seen them working on the new 458s, uh, right down to the old 365s and older cars than that. And they can do anything from a simple oil change on a vehicle to a full restoration. And if you are a foreign buyer and want to do a pre-purchase inspection on a car, they can arrange for the vehicle to be transported to their workshops and carry out a full inspection for you, whichever country you're based in. In their words, they are as passionate about the work on your car as you are about owning the car and driving the car. So if you want more information, check them out at supercaritalia.co.uk. Now on to the show. Craig, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's fantastic. Thank you. Um, Craig, uh, I've um, been following your work for quite some time um, and I've always been impressed with um, your understanding of the technical side of F1. But why don't you give us a bit of an introduction into yourself and um, you know your background and what you do? Okay, well, um, I've always been uh, interested in racing cars and airplanes and it's always been very much the technical side. So, you know, as I sort of changed and uh, grew over the years, uh, I'd sort of increasingly got more interested in the technical side of the racing car, uh, things making the models and drawing the cars and understanding all the technology. And around 2000, it was, I started to actually, with the, the growth of the web and the forums and bulletin boards and what have you, just started to write and draw some of my thoughts and um, insight into the cars. And I've been doing that now, obviously, for 17 years to wow. the point where, as you say, you know, I go to the majority of the Grand Prix and other motor racing events. And uh, my, my work covers purely the technical side of motor racing and explaining you know, what all of this technology is doing, why the cars are different from each other, mm. all of the new sort of uh, innovations in technologies, whether they're legal or maybe in some cases not quite so legal. Yeah. Um, and just trying to get that, you know, get my enthusiasm for that across to to the fans. Wow. Interesting. I mean, it's, it's great that you've made um, a career out of something that you're so passionate about. Um, and uh, I understand that you, you sort of do various things for sort of TV channels, various things for magazines. So uh, give us a bit of an insight as to, um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the channels that you're work, working with at the moment. Okay, well, probably the, um, the, the sort of the, the biggest, most obvious thing that I'm doing at the moment is I work for um, or appear on um, a TV show called The Flying Lap, which is with Peter Windsor, who uh, mm-hmm. I know you know. We, we had him and, last week. Yep, correct. Yes. And uh, every Friday we have um, a show where we talk about things that happen in motor racing. It's a somewhat Formula One focus, but not always. Mm-hmm. And I come on and uh, I talk, obviously, talk again about the technology uh, and I have... Uh, a colleague that myself and Peter work with, uh, Dean Wright, and a small team who do some 3D animations to bring this technology to life for us so we can explain the changes that are happening to the cars. And so that's sort of the biggest thing. And that will expand next season. Uh, hopefully we can do a lot more, particularly on the technical side. So you know, watch this space on that one. Other stuff I do, um, I do work for um, ESPN uh, on their website for GP Update. Mm-hmm. 
um, and also Race Tech magazine, which is one of the kind of the industry technical magazines where the you know, the one that the engineers read, not ones necessarily solely for fans. It, you know, it does have a crossover. Yeah. Uh, I do work there. Uh, and probably the biggest thing uh, that I do that most people know me for is um, my social media feed, which is Scarbs Tech, which is on Twitter. Mm-hmm. It then feeds onto Facebook and I, I do some stuff with my own blog and with Drive Tribe and things like that. I mean, it's interesting that you've taken the, um, you know, the purely technical route, you know, um, you know, which, which kind of specializes you in that sense, you know, which is which is really interesting. Um, but I can totally relate to what you were saying about sort of seeing these cars so up close in the in the pits and the paddocks, you know, because uh, back in September, I attended a, an event at Silverstone, um, the, the mm-hmm. Ferrari Racing Days event. And, mm. um, you know, just sort of walking around the garages there and seeing the, I mean, these are the older F1 cars, these aren't even the new mm. ones, but seeing them in so such close detail, I mean, they're, they're works of art. I mean, they're, 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 you know, powerful machines as they are, but, you know, they're really the way that they've all been put together. I mean, they're beautiful machines. Um, it is, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people probably don't actually realise how interested they are on the technical side of things until it's kind of spelled out to them. Because, mm. you know, motor racing is about the car and the driver. Um, if it was just about the driver, it would just be athletics, wouldn't it? Sure. So, yeah, yeah. You know, there's, um, there's not a huge amount there uh, that, you know, purely with the driver. When you start to bring the cars in, and as much as there's a huge amount of secrecy around these things, yeah. a lot of the, the technology is very similar from car to car. And it's just a chance of really getting that close up look. Yeah, um, bringing that to life, which is you know what I like to do, and I think a lot of people do appreciate that. Even if you actually ask them, are you interested in the technical side? They'll go, no, not really. But it's like, oh wow, yeah, you know. Uh, and when you go and look at you know like the oil burning situation in Formula One at the moment, so I didn't realize they could do that. How can they do that? And you know, getting that across. And every year there's two or three of those kind of key technical stories that really need to be explained quite clearly to people Mm. to get that across. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I was going to dive into something else, but while you're on that, I mean, what what would you say, I mean, you you know, give us an example. There's a big thing going on with suspension at the moment. So if Mm. you you follow Formula One, uh, you know that over the winter uh, last year, there was a rule that prevented some very clever suspension systems working. Right. Uh, One of the things they did was be able to link the, uh, two sides of the suspension so that you can have different suspension performance um, when you're braking, so the car's pitching or diving, mm-hmm. um, and all, equally against when it's rolling around in corners. Right. Uh, it all got banned, and teams have obviously been finding ways to play about with how to uh, change this and how to get that benefit back without the hydraulic technology they're working. Yeah. And on the front suspension, the upright that holds you know, the wheel to the suspension – there is um, a lever that pushes um, the, the the rod that operates then the suspension. Mm-hmm. And Ferrari back in Spa actually had a huge extension to this lever. Well, most people only have one that's spaced a few millimetres from the sort of steering axis. Mm-hmm. Ferrari had one that's like 10, 15 centimetres. And Vettel really found that to be a huge advantage. Right. Uh, now, other teams have been following this. Red Bull in particular have changed uh, their suspension over the far past few weeks. And this setup allows you to get a stronger roll, anti-roll effect through the corners, without having to revert to clever hydraulics and bits and pieces inside the springs and the dampers. Wow. Um, That's quite clever, actually. It's very clever. It's Mm. actually something that's been there for many years, but they've just gone much more extreme, which is the way Formula One seems to be going at the moment. If something has been there for ages let's just really ex- make it you know extraordinarily and really ex- push mm. the design of it to so, so much further and that's one of these areas that's working on formula one and it's really one of the things that's helped ferrari in the latter part of the year to try and get some pace back in that car yeah and actually that's one of the interesting things that sort of comes out of formula one where it 
sort of gets developed into road cars and we see a lot of the road car technology um you know initially coming from the formula one division um you know and being uh, perfected there and you know then being moved onto the road cars and you see the road cars improving as a result um you know so it's always interesting to to look at what's happening on the the technical side within formula one because that's ultimately what um you know will be driving down the line yeah, absolutely. And I think Ferrari, of all of the teams, are one of the ones, because of the nature of their road cars, are really able to sort of push that forward. Mm. So, yeah. you know, we've seen uh, Ferrari, obviously, one of the first uh, road cars to have the paddle shift gearbox, mm. um, to have an electronic differential, to have the complicated steering with all the buttons and the controls, like, you know, the Manatino that you have yes. uh, on the, on the uh, supercars now. And, mm. you know, you just see increasingly hybrid, which, you know, 10, 15 years ago, hybrid was something that was applied to a Prius and everybody hated it. But mm. suddenly you look at the Ferraris with the hybrid systems now, like the LaFerrari, and you think, yeah. wow, that's really cool. I really want one of those. So you see Formula One not only is transferring it on you, but it's kind of making it sexy in the process of doing that as well. And mm. you could probably even look back to the old days with the turbo. I mean, before, in the old days, turbos, um, before they came to Formula One, was something you fitted to a diesel truck and weren't very sexy. All of a yeah, sudden, yeah. every car, even if it didn't have a turbo, would have a turbo sticker on it. And, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so, very true. It, you know, Formula One making making technology sort of sexy and applicable to Formula uh, to road cars, and uh, that's you know very much an undersung part of what Formula One does. I think it it, it can be looked as being something being very humble sometimes. This road relevancy and it's often misapplied to Formula One, but I think it's a crucial part of what it does yeah yeah no that's that that's very very true um so actually uh, i i was going to ask you um you know in terms of the 2017 season you know this season that we're currently in um it's coming to an end soon um mm. it's it, there, there were some good aspects to the season from ferrari's point of view and some some bad as well and mm -hmm. um a number of the bad ones are sort of driver related um and errors uh that that have come out and i and i say that because i mean that's ferrari's officially kind of taken that stance as well that there were driver errors which um which led to uh the the um title going mm -hmm. over to um um to uh lewis this year but in terms of from a technical side i mean what what were some of the good things that uh we can see from this 2017 season um you know for for ferrari and um you know where were where were their um, their troubles this year well, I mean, I think, first of all, I think we, for us, we need to kind of congratulate Ferrari for having such a competitive year because it very much came out of nowhere. Mm. Um, you know, the past few years, unfortunately, weren't very good for Ferrari. The chassis really wasn't there. Mm. Um, in the early years of the new engine regulations, sort of 2014, 2015, Ferrari really got the power unit um, very wrong in comparison to Mercedes, mm. obviously got it exactly right. I think we could argue, and I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Yeah. Um, um, and obviously, Ferrari have had its managerial issues over the, the past few years as well. Mm. And uh, looking at where they were coming into uh, 2017, my view was is that they were going to have a year of rebuilding and Red Bull and Mercedes would be the most competitive teams and Ferrari would be catching up during the year as they sort of settle into their new structure. Yeah. Um, but, you know. I'm happy to say that I was completely wrong in that respect. Ferrari really hit the ground running. And I can remember being at testing and the car looked amazing. And its very first performances, particularly on some of the uh, harder tyres, yeah. um, were yeah, quite incredible and surprised some of the other teams. So Ferrari made a huge leap with its car design over the winter. Mm. 
Um, and, you know, I think our expectations were suddenly boosted by that as a result. So, you know, I think you have to remember that Mercedes have been very dominant with both car and power unit design since 2014. Yes. And yeah. Ferrari pretty much made a huge catch up over the winter of 2016, 17 mm. to get where they are. Um, it's very hard to look at the Ferrari and point to things which um, allowed it to make such an improvement. The engine has been uh, rejigged slightly, but the engine was becoming quite competitive uh, last season anyway. Right. Um, you can look at the car and the chassis, and you can say you know, these clever side pods that they have with a very wide veined uh, inlets at the front, mm. uh, is that the magic bullet that gave them the performance? And while it's a factor, it's not you know, a big contributor to their change in performance. They've really just improved lots of areas of the car over the winter. So it's, um, it's, it's more it, sort of small changes, small improvements to everything. It's, there's, lots, there's lots of changes. And equally, um, you can look at their competitors and, you know, Red Bull really didn't um, take on these new rules much as we were expecting them to. Yeah. Um, they really kind of dropped the ball a little bit for the, uh, well, probably the first two thirds, three quarters of the season, I think it's fair to say. Mm. Um, and equally, Mercedes were, um, you know, weren't as competitive as they expected to be. They've had quite a difficult car this year. Yeah. It was initially overweight. Um, it struggled with its tyres in certain conditions and it's been very inconsistent. Um, so, you know, that's brought the other teams back towards Ferrari. Mm. Um but, you know, I think that there is credit at Ferrari and especially uh, under Matteo Binotto um, that they've really got the technical side of the team really tightly organised this year. And that's allowed them mm. to uh, really to sort of push the championship. And um, so re- really, think, really, they had a they had a good solid car this year then. Yes. I mean, I think um, it's it's strange. We um, we sort of look at the car um, over the season and um, it has been consistent. It, but I think the problem with the car is that it's not been outright as fast as the uh, Mercedes when the Mercedes is, uh, you know, um, in a situation where they've got the car under control. There's a few races where Mercedes have really struggled this year, but by and large, the Mercedes has simply been a faster car and Ferrari was nearly, um, nearly as fast, you know, you're talking about a few tenths of seconds behind it, um, especially if you ignore qualifying, but in the race, you know, we found nearly every race, the, uh, you know, the top few cars have been covered by a few seconds, which hasn't been a case for, for, you know, for many years in Formula One that you would have cars so close, even if there was no hope for the car in second or third catching, you know, for the lead. Yeah. But the car's been very close and it has been, you know, certainly the early part of the season, um, race wins were really down to um, just everything going right for you on the day, you know, with a start, mm. with the pit stops, you know, with the tyres not going off the way you're expecting them to. And uh, Ferrari were very consistent. They were always challenging Mercedes, but obviously Mercedes are a team that have got huge technical depth and have really engineered that car out yeah. of the inconsistent, um, what they describe as its diva tendencies mm. um, and um, really engineered their way out of a hole. And, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, Ferrari could blame uh, the drivers. I know a lot of the fans blame um, reliability. Mm. But I think at the end of the day, I think it's fair to say is that the Ferrari simply wasn't quite quick enough right. over every type of circuit in order to win the championship. So I think the, the reliability in those driver errors, of which I think we could probably say there was two of each, mm. Um, well, you you, me, you mentioned the, the reli- sorry you mentioned the reliability. Um, you know, just just for our viewers, just remind us what were those um, technical issues that they had. Um, you know, and you sort of you know what what was the result? I mean, we know the result of that in the sense that you know cars mm. did you know did not finish. But you know, just just give us a bit of a background as to what those problems were. 
Well, there were there were sort of two key uh, race retirement issues. I think you described. Ferrari had some problems with its turbocharger early in the season, but that really got itself um, solved. But the two key things were the sort of the Malaysian and the Japanese issues. Yeah. Um, the first of which was um, a um, upgrade to the intercooler and to the engine affected the intercooler mm-hmm. and as we know the intercooler cools the air from the turbocharger before it goes back into the uh, engine's inlet and um, part of the manifold that goes from the turbo to the start of the intercooler had cracked um, during qualifying I seem to remember it was for Vettel's car mm-hmm. uh, and subsequently again in the race and I think um, Raikkonen had the same issue a small quality control issue they'd started to push the engine much harder and qualifying with the upgrade and it just overcame the, the structural ability yeah. of this manifold to um contain the, the pressurized air within it mm. one of those little parts that goes with um engine development you know sometimes things will suddenly fail that have been fine up until now yeah you know yeah every team will have something like that through the year you know it's and you never get 100 percent reliability you know throughout all three days of every race weekend yeah, yeah so that was one of those things okay you know that's their little stumble for the year fine we were expected to move on and then we had a spark problem mm, yeah now um i've had one of those on my own car but um this well, is well <laughs> i think we've all we've all found changing spark plugs so it makes your car run so much better yeah spark plugs do fail they're you know inherently they're very simple piece of devices you know it's just a an insulator um an electrode up the middle and then the uh, the part that you bolt into the car and the spark obviously goes across between those two metal parts Formula One plugs nowadays are a little bit more complicated with mm. this um, turbulent jet ignition, this very clever combustion system that, that allows these cars to be so fuel efficient, is yeah. now partly integrated into the spark plug. Mm. And um, because the spark plugs are obviously anyway deep down inside uh, the engine and on a Formula One car are hidden by lots of pieces of bodywork and heat shielding and other protective carbon fibre pieces, when Vettel had uh, an issue going to the grid uh, with the spark plug, mm being able to get everything off and change the plug in time just wasn't possible and uh, again led to that second race retirement again a very small innocuous part that has led to you know quite a big impact which you know is quite often is the way of formula one lots of races have been lost because of a 50 50 part failing yeah uh, and this is this isn't unique to Ferrari or any other team. So. I mean, there's there's a lot of luck involved in um, Formula One or any racing, really. But um, you know, something like that, you know, on another day, just would not have been a problem. Um, you know, but yeah. you know, in this particular case, the the cars are under so much stress, and you know, they're being pushed to the absolute limits. Um, and you know, this is this is kind of the difference between the you know the the you know having a road car and a race car. Um, you know, the cars are you know, being pushed to the limits. Um, and unfortunately, at that limit, sometimes things break, things go wrong. Yeah, it's, it's the nature of Formula One. These are, at the end of the day, prototype cars. You know, they, they're never put together the same twice um, because they're always being updated. You don't get the amount of testing and the amount of rig testing that you would like. And Ferrari found themselves sort of in this latter part of the season needing to improve their uh, entire performance to be able to keep up with uh, Mercedes which obviously had turned the tide with their car and Ferrari were particularly pushing the engine development and particularly engine development during qualifying which is where they really do lose out Mm. to Mercedes Um, and that's led to almost directly to those two issues um, which 
couldn't be foreseen. You know, it's just one of those things that happens. Um, and, uh, you know, it certainly sped up their uh, demise in w- you know, to winning the championship this year. But uh, as I was sort of saying earlier, I don't think Ferrari were necessarily going to be on target to win the championship this year simply because of pace. I think the, the driver errors and the reliability really just meant that the championship uh, came to its conclusion much earlier mm. rather than it yeah. fundamentally changing the uh, the pattern. And I think a lot of people have purely looked at these incidents and say, well, Ferrari have lost because of this. Mm. Um, but I think Ferrari's ba- base problem was that the car just wasn't that bit as quick as the Mercedes on um, any given day. Yeah. So, so what does this mean now for the 2018 season? I mean, um, you know, are there any indications as to how um, Ferrari might fare in next season? Well, I think that the, the key thing that um, we can take heart for, um, uh, depending on on your degree of cynicism, yeah. uh, for Ferrari in 2018, is that there hasn't been um, what you would just describe as the traditional witch hunt of management uh, and people being fired because of the failure of this season. Mm. Um, which has often been the case of Ferrari and was, was one of my concerns over the past few years and why I perhaps didn't have the confidence in Ferrari for 2017 that, mm. you know, people have been fired. Everyone needs to kind of get back in and get all the politics settled before getting on with the, the basic job of yes. creating a car and operating it for a season. So we're still going to see um, Arriva Bene uh, op- running the team. You're going to have Binotto running the technical side of the team and lots of the senior managers below them are all in the same positions. Mm. So Ferrari have got, you know, some balance and some peace within the factory at Maranello. Uh, we know those people can do a good job. It's been proven already in 2017. Mm. So there's nothing fundamentally telling us that Ferrari should do a worse job next year. There's mm. no red flags in that respect. Um, and, and they've and got a basis just, of a very... Sorry, just to add also, the, the drivers are remaining the same as well. Both the drivers have been extended also. So um, yes. you know, that all adds to the stability within the team. Yeah, so you've got you've got that that stability, and um, you know I think uh, again this year has kind of shown uh, Sebastian Vettel's um, weak point, which is kind of his 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 uh, uh, temper, mm, uh, mm. and maybe that's something that the team can, can work on because I think that has something that's kind of taken away from situations through the year. Mm. But uh, again, with any driver, you know you have to take the rough with the smooth. If he's a fast driver, he's bound to have some kind of failing in another area. Very few, sure. very few drivers are perfect in all respects. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know the building blocks are there. Um, we know they have um, a good engine. Mm. We know they have a good chassis. They've got all the right equipment to continue to develop them. Mm. Um, next year, there's not much in the way of regulation changes. Mm. One of the biggest changes is actually to take away some of Mercedes' performance benefit, which is in this oil burning um, uh, function, which they have on the engine. Ferrari tried to make better use of that through this year, but really were kind of knocked back, unfortunately, by the regulations. Yeah. So I think we should see much more um, equality during qualifying in particular, mm-hmm. Um for next year, which again, as I say, has been Ferrari's weak point this year. Um, Tires are going to go very much softer, which again is a, a something that's going to work into Ferrari's hands. The Ferrari for the past few years has been very good on its tyres, right. very good at running softer compound tyres, very good at running tyres in higher temperatures, which has really been, has always been Mercedes' weak point, even going back to the uh, years before they had their, you know, their current run of success before 2014. Yeah, yeah. So in some respects, some of the rules are going in, in Ferrari's favour. Hmm. Um, but then we have to see that you know Red Bull have kind of got their mojo back 
And next year, there's no reason to suspect that we won't have a, a very tight three-way fight for the championship with um, all six of the drivers uh, in the uh, top three teams having you know, very competitive cars. Yes, yeah, no, that should definitely be an interesting season next year. Um, you know, hopefully uh, right down to the wire, as we've seen in the past. But, um, you know, it'll be uh, obviously from a Ferrari fan's perspective, uh, it would be great to see Ferrari win. But if in any case, it should be a, a very interesting season next year, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, I think you know everyone wants to see competitive racing. I think yeah. at the end of the day, we all like to see our favourite team win overall. Mm. Um, but I think at the end of the day, we want to be entertained through the year. And uh, I think next year has very much got the, uh, the ingredients to deliver that for us. Yeah, you you mentioned um, just a moment ago about the, the you know Ferrari doing well on the, the soft tyres compared to other cars. Mm-hmm. Um, is it? I mean, how, how is it that one vehicle might be better on a particular tyre than the others? I mean, what what is it that causes that um, vehicle to perform better compared to others? Is it to do with the, the setup of the vehicle or, or you know, how, what, what is the key factors involved? Um, there's, there's various factors involved. Um, I mean, it almost starts equally from strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, now... You could look at someone like Mercedes in recent years and Red Bull uh, during their their competitive years. They realize that they've got a a fast car and they will probably qualify on pole. Mm. So then they can then think, well, you know, we can adapt our car setup and strategy to be better or worse on tires in order to get better qualifying performance, better race performance. And I think we've seen that very much. Ferrari obviously haven't had the outright pace, but have been very good in races. And they very much looked at looking after the, um, the tires for the race to get competitive edge there. And from, and from that, you then start to um, think about how you set the car up, the suspension mm-hmm. uh, geometry, how the springs and the dampers control the tyre movement as well, which is a big part in actually controlling tyre temperature. Yeah. Um, and also the way you deliver the power, the way you um, recover energy from the rear tyres uh, under uh, braking mm. with the, uh, the Kurs uh, hybrid setup. Mm. And then there's lots of other little things where how you manage the heat from the brakes and prevent that getting into the uh, onto the wheels and into the tires, which is all to do with the ducting inside the wheels there. Mm. So there's lots and lots of things, but it's very much down initially down to how you set the suspension up. Yeah. And um, Ferrari have gone that direction. I know they've been very successful with it, and uh, you know certainly in the early part of the season. And when you look at the races where. Ferrari have been so much more competitive than Mercedes. It's always been where it's been very much a, a tyre sensitive circuit with right. high temperatures or the very soft tyre compounds being used. Mm. So Ferrari, in some respects, needs to step away from that a little bit and maybe be a little bit less um, performing in the race and a bit more in qualifying to get the tyres up and running faster. Mm. And Mercedes needs to do the opposite. But right. you know, it's. Um, there's always a balance to be played there. Yeah, no, that, that's a that's a really interesting explanation, actually, because it's something that I um, didn't fully appreciate beforehand. And um, mm. I think the way that you've explained it there, at least to me, makes a lot of sense. So um, <laughs> thanks for that. So the, the, the 2018 season, um, unlikely to be sort of major changes, as you mentioned. Um, but there are some quite big changes coming up, uh, which... Formula One is talking about for the 2021 season uh, with regards mm. to the power units and Ferrari's reaction to that um, has been that if those changes do come into place, then Ferrari may well exit Formula One. Um, mm-hmm. So what, what are your what are your thoughts about these changes that are coming up? 
What's happening uh, for 2021 is that the FIA at Liberty, who are the, the commercial rights owner and the teams and potential um, engine manufacturers, have all been discussing what should happen for the new rules for 2021. Mm-hmm. But what we've ended up with seems to be a very mixed bag of regulations, which lacks some direction uh, and doesn't really deliver what everybody wants, whether it be the fans, the, the new engine manufacturers or the current engine manufacturers. Yeah. So what, what's being proposed is that we keep the same base engine, which is the 1.6 litre V6 with a single turbocharger. Mm-hmm. But you're, the teams will be given more um, fuel flow in order to run the engine to higher RPM, which should create more noise from the engine. Right. So which is yeah, very much a, a preoccupation um, for the FA to you know, kind of appease fans who think that the current engine is too quiet and isn't uh, very interesting to listen to. I mean, mm. I, I beg to disagree, but, um, you know, everyone has their view of what motor racing should be. Yeah. Yeah. And then they've made some uh, cost-cutting changes, obviously aimed at the potential new manufacturers. And what that will be is that you will have, um, we will no longer have the um, hybrid system attached to the turbo, which we call the MGUH, which is an absolute core part of the current engine regulations. Yeah. It recovers a huge amount of energy through the lap, which means you can actually have almost as much of the um, Kerr's power available to go back into driving the car forwards out of the corners as, as you would want around any particular lap. Um, equally then they were going to um, standardize the electronics for the rest of the hybrid system and the battery mm. so when we look at the teams uh, the four manufacturers that have been part of the 20 foot uh, the post 2014 engine regulations which is obviously mercedes ferrari renault and then honda mm-hmm. but huge amount of investment into developing their batteries developing the mgus the motor generator units that obviously do the work of the hybrid system obviously mm. the electronics uh, and now having one of those core part, parts of their technology taken away um, and equally, you know, someone like Ferrari to be running a standard piece of uh, kit on their engine is kind of yeah. very much against Ferrari have always been in Formula One. They've always manufactured everything on the car from mm. the chassis, obviously, to the engine and the gearbox and the electronics, albeit maybe with partners like Magneti Morelli, which obviously is a core part of what Ferrari yeah. uh, have always used in Formula One. So they're now suddenly thinking, well, hold on, why should we be giving up, you know, some of our core selling points of yeah. being in Formula One yeah. um, just so we can introduce a couple of engine manufacturers? This isn't a balance that's working in our favor. Mm. And from my point of view, this increase in fuel flow to create noise, I mean, burning petrol just to make a noisier engine is very against what the world is trying to do yes. um, yeah. in the 21st century. And I, I know, you know, we're all petrol heads if we're following formula one we all like noisy engines we all think you know haze of smoke coming out the back but Mm. there is a degree of kind of you know environmental and social responsibility that formula one has to project i mean it doesn't have to go too far but i think that's still quite a very bad message uh, to be sending out um you know in the 21st century for a major global sport yeah yeah and as a result as a result, no one seems to be particularly happy with the new regulations, apart from some of the potential new entrants. But, you know, they still have mm-hmm. an absolute huge uh, hurdle uh, to get over in order to produce a competitive engine compared with these four manufacturers that have been doing this job for three or four years now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it's a good summary there, I mean, of the, the changes. And it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's actually quite, quite a shame to sort of, uh, sort of, see this that this might potentially come forward because i mean not only does 
it mean then that the teams are not competing in the same sort of way? I mean, the engine is obviously a major part of it. I mean, I think it was mm. Enzo Ferrari himself who said, you buy the engine and the car comes free. Um, mm. You know, and, you know, the engine has always been sort of the heart and soul of Ferrari and certainly mm. within Formula One as well with the teams developing their own engines and that's how it's been over the years. Mm. Um, and for that particular part to be taken away, um, I don't think it adds to the sport. Uh, my personal view is it will take away mm. a lot from the sport. Um, you know, and, you know, at the same time, you can understand why Ferrari themselves are sort of saying, well, you know, if that's the way that the regulation is going to go, then we're no longer going to be part of Formula One, which is a real shame to sort of lose, you know, Ferrari from the Formula One scene. Um, you know, as you mentioned, they've been in yep. it from the start. <clears throat> Absolutely. You know, I mean, I think, um, you know, there's lots of people have had quite varying attitudes to the, you know, which is, you know, Ferrari have threatened to quit the sport many times mm. over the years, yeah. uh, mainly around engine regulations, it has to be said. Um, but, you know, Formula One is partly Ferrari and Ferrari are partly Formula One. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it would be, I don't think it would be the end of the world for either if there, if there was ever a split. I don't think that we'll get to that stage, but if that did happen, mm. I don't think it would be the end of the world, but I think it would certainly take something away from from both sides because you know they've always been inextricably linked uh, between the two yeah and uh, i don't think it would be good for liberty in the you know the first couple of years is to, to lose ferrari from the sport um yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think i think that this whole engine regulation it's very early days and these are really just the first shots being fired and the first drafts of some regulations and i think we will end up with mm. a compromise down the road between now and whenever the regulations need to be finally uh, battened down because obviously that's it's as much as we say, oh, it's going to be, you know, the same base engine because the engine RPM is increasing because the hybrid systems are changing. Mm -hmm. It is literally going to be effectively a brand new engine that they need to develop. It would be a huge job yeah. for the existing manufacturers as much as the new people coming into the sport. So yeah. this really does need to get resolved. And, you know, there's there's lots of people between the fans and the, the manufacturers, both new and old. Uh, there's, there's, there's lots of factors to take into account to design these regulations. Yeah. And I think the process Liberty are going through at the moment is actually just trying to work out what is Formula One, which way is it going to be going? Mm. And I don't think these regulations really give us any clarity on that because we can have new chassis regulations coming up soon. There's going to be a new commercial model for the sport. Um, yeah. So there's lots of, you know, at some point we need to understand which direction Liberty are going to be going with the ownership and the direction of the sport. Mm. How is it going to be funded? Is it entertainment? Is it sport? Is it technology? Is it business? Yeah. Uh, getting all of those things sorted out. And, you know, I think we're still a little bit in the dark, but I think that will become a little bit more apparent over the next sort of year or two yeah it'd be interesting to watch how it all develops really because um, mm. you know it could be one of the biggest changes to formula one um you know certainly that mm. i can remember um obviously the yeah. the changes to the, the turbocharged engines and you know that was obviously a significant mm. change but i think that this is potentially going to be bigger especially if ferrari do exit mm. from formula one um, it'll also be interesting to see which direction that they do go in if they do exit you mm. know, what, what it is that they sort of move themselves into because obviously racing is, is part of their DNA <clears> and um, you know they, they won't ex exit from racing as such um, but yeah so we'll have to see how that all develops really Absolutely. And I think at one point I was actually pondering just this morning was, um, okay, Ferrari did, you know, worst case, if they left Formula One, where would they go? And the way that motorsport is operating at the moment, there's very few opportunities for them to run a pure prototype car with, mm -hmm. you know, a, a big operation outside of Formula One yeah. because of the nature of their road cars. They're not going to go into World Rally or Rally Cross. They really yeah. have to be looking at things like 
um, you know, the World Endurance Championship, uh, or you know, even yeah. if you looked at the other option, which is which they've done in the past um, during the 80s when um, Enzo was unhappy and he wanted to leave the sport, they developed an Indy car. But now, mm. an Indy car is a, a virtually a spec car, as is Formula E, which would, would be potentially another direction. Yeah. You, know, you couldn't see Ferrari re-engineering their racing department to run a spec car yeah. in another series. Yeah. And they don't have many options. And I think in some respects, the cards, the cards are held by Liberty and the FIA in that respect. But mm. um, do, do you think it's feasible they... for Ferrari to set up their own um, championship, you know, something to rival Formula One? I think that's possible. I think that's always possible. Mm. But um, how many teams would, would cross over with them? You know, Ferrari don't always necessarily have lots of friends in the paddock. They've always been very sort of Machiavellian and, and yes. out of their own interest. Yeah. But, you know, a, a breakaway series is always on the cards. Mm. Um, and you know, it could be possible. I don't think the world can support two premier mm. um, single-seater categories. Okay, you've got IndyCar, which is maybe a bit more parochial you know, American, but it's still an international series. Yeah. Um, I don't think you, you could have two types of Formula One out there and be successful. Mm. I think eventually it would, it would um, destroy or certainly damage one or both of them. Yeah. Um, that's not really what any of us would want. So I, I think at the end of the day, compromise will, will break through. Yeah. Um, I don't think anyone's going to you know, come to an ultimatum situation in this, but we'll just see. Um, maybe, and, maybe, uh, maybe they'll just let Ferrari uh, build the engines. That might be a compromise. <laughs> I don't, yeah, again, I don't think that's necessarily good for the rest of the sport. No, but, no. <laughs> yes, it's, you know, it's, it's obviously, it's a very finely balanced situation between mm. all of the factors that need to be taken into account for formula one as a championship going forwards and uh, i'd love to be involved but in some respects i think i'm kind of glad that i'm not responsible for it yeah no that's that's great thank you for that craig thanks very much for that um that was really a fascinating fascinating insight into the technical aspects uh, behind Formula One um and Formula One for Ferrari in the 2017 season and, and 28 season coming up uh, what I wanted to do now was just ask a simple question: money, no object. Which Ferrari would you buy? I'm not entirely sure, actually. Um, yeah, you know, I do like some of the sort of the super supercar uh, ones, like the LaFerrari and the uh, FXX and what have you. But mm. you know, I think I have to accept that you know I'm not Michael Schumacher. I'm not a great driver. <laughs> uh, and as much as I'd love to just sit and look at them, and I'd love to look at the technology. Um, you know, I think a Ferrari is for driving, mm. and I would have to pick a car that I knew that I could drive on a maybe not a daily basis, but certainly one that would be a, a good practical car. And it always yeah. kind of brings me back to the uh, you know the old classic Dino, which was oh, wow. you know not the most powerful car in the world, not the largest car in the world, but it certainly had it, it captured a moment in the you know in the sixties of of car design and of style mm. and of the size and the performance uh, of the car. And I think that's for me is the sweet spot. And uh, I know it was a car that um, my, my late dad always really cherished. And I think if I have had the money, I think I would mm. buy one for the both of us. Yeah. Um, and that would, you know, I think I would get a lot more uh, enjoyment from that. Uh, and may then maybe have, you know, something sort of super technical in the garage just to sort of sit and poke and look at. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's a great choice because um, although it's it's obviously not the quickest uh, Ferrari out there, mm. um, but in terms of handling, uh, I've not had the pleasure of driving one myself. 
Um, but uh, some friends of mine who do own dinos, they tell me that they handle mm. fantastically, you know, round mm. sort of tight tracks and things like that. And it's all probably all to do with the, the size and the setup and the, um, yeah. you know, the, you know, and, and, you know, so they're, they're great cars to drive. They're lots of fun. And for a long time, they were unloved as well. I mean, they, the prices of dinos, mm. um, you know, was really, really low for quite some time. Um, and, you know, now they've started to creep up and creep up and people have recognized that, you know what, this is actually, it's, it's a great car to have, um, yes. you know, as part of a collection, you know, and, and something that you can use as well. Um, the scary thing would be is if that the prices go to sort of crazy levels and then you just won't see them on the road anymore. Um, no, I mean, that's always the, the danger of any sort of classic car. But what is nice that I've noticed is that people are now being much more sympathetic to the restoration mm. of these cars and they're becoming much more um, professional and period correct rather than just your sort of your average uh, car garage, yeah. um, giving them a respray and kind of patching them up. So, um, yeah. you know, I think, you know, something really accurate and original would be what I would be looking to have if I ever had that opportunity. And I know there's a few garages near me that has always has one in the in the window, and you always drive past and look. And it's like, yeah, that oh. day. <laughs> I'll, I mean, I'm buying that. I'm not even going to argue the price. I want to drive off now. <laughs> well, they, they they have been creeping up in price, so don't leave it too long. Otherwise, you might just regret that. Yeah, I think there may be out of my hands the uh, the ability to pay for it, <laughs> Craig. Thanks very much for your time. As I mentioned, it's been fascinating sort of listening to, um, you know, all the all this sort of the knowledge and the depth of information that you have. Um, I certainly learned a lot and uh, I, uh, I know our listeners will as well. Um, if people want to sort of reach out to you, contact you, find you, where can they do that? Um, well, luckily, um, I'm known as and I'm known as Scarbs. So if you just Google Scarbs and F1, it will immediately find any number of right. uh, my outlets. But probably, as I say, is the best place to find me is on Twitter, which is at Scarbs Tech, and um, you'll catch up all the latest. I'm going to be in uh, Abu Dhabi in a few weeks. I'll be taking lots of pictures of the uh, the current Ferrari. Uh, in fact, I've actually put a gallery up on Drive Tribes of the Ferrari back in, I think it was the Austrian Grand Prix. Right. Lots of close detail of the car. So um, they're the best places to catch me. Excellent. Well, definitely look forward to that. Um, we'll be uh, following you on Twitter as well. Thank you very much. Gosh, I learned so much in that episode. Uh, that was great. So thank you very much, Craig. After we finished the uh, the recording, uh, actually, I continued the conversation with Craig. And he very kindly said that he's going to um, start writing some articles for us on the website on the uh, technical side of Formula One. So that's going to be really great. Really look forward to that, Craig. Thank you. In a moment, I'm going to tell you about our guest for next week. And you won't want to miss that. But before we do that... Once again, I'd just like to thank our sponsor for today. They are Supercar Italia. They're based in Biggin Hill in Kent, right by Biggin Hill Airports. They specialise in servicing, repairs and bodywork for Ferraris, Lamborghini and Maserati, as well as all types of supercars. They combine over 60 years technical know-how. They don't just work on the new cars, but they're also very familiar with the old cars as well. Having been around their workshop, I've seen them working on the new 458s, uh, right down to the old 365s and older cars than that. And they can do anything from a simple oil change on a vehicle to a full restoration. And if you are a foreign buyer and want to do a pre-purchase inspection on a car, they can arrange for the vehicle to be transported to their workshops and carry out a full inspection for you, whichever country you're based in. In their words, they are as passionate about the work on your car as you are about owning the car and driving the car. So if you want more information, 
Check them out at supercaritalia.co.uk. Next week's guest is a Ferrari owner, and this is a really special interview because not only is the car special, it's it's a one-of-a-kind F12 TDF, which in itself is special. But what makes the whole interview the cherry on the cake is the way that this owner picked up his vehicle from the factory because I did not even know that this was possible. And when he talks about the experience that he had blew my mind away. So it's a very special F12 TDF tailor-made and he talks about his experience of going through the whole tailor-made process, what was involved and how he chose the specification on his particular vehicle. But that's all for now. Ciao.